Hi, I'm Josh, and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art, the craft, and today the travel and logistics of nature photography. It's the 21st of May 2022, and this is podcast number 44. The topic of today's podcast is going to be a little bit about logistics, a little bit about travel, and a little bit about uh, how fit you need to be to come on some of these expeditions that I I do and that I write about and blog about and podcast about. I had a couple of people uh, contact me over the last week saying that they've been really enjoying the podcast and they'd really like it if I talked a little bit more about logistics and a little bit about level of fitness required. So I'm more than happy to do that. I'm actually leaving for Africa today uh, in, <coughs> excuse me, in just a few hours' time. So I wanted to try and squeeze in uh, one more podcast before I go away, really. Uh, I'm not going to have a chance to do any podcasting while I'm on the road on this trip. This is going to be uh, very much a wildlife intensive focused trip, a lot of time in the hides, which means a lot of quiet time. So I just don't feel like I'm going to have enough time to actually do any podcasting while I'm in Africa. I'm only going to be there for two weeks, so it's a fairly short trip for me. And then I'll be back in Australia for four weeks before I head up to Svalbard for my polar bear expedition of which I've actually had, well, I think of it, I've actually had two pieces become available on that trip last minute. So if that's something that interests you, please contact me. Uh, at the moment, it's still very, very difficult for people in China and Hong Kong to travel because of the COVID lockdowns and COVID restrictions. So I have two clients who have been I'm wanting to do this trip now since originally this trip was scheduled to run in 2020, and then it was delayed 21 and then to 22 because of the pandemic. And unfortunately, now they still can't travel outside of China. So they're actually willing to let their places go at quite a significant discount. So if that's of interest to you, please just drop me a note. Um, you can email me info, info at jhelco.com and I can send you some information. It is getting close to last minute. But there's still plenty of time to to make that happen and book flights and uh, and some accommodation if you're if you're keen to join me for that. It is an incredible expedition this fall, bud, in um, in uh, in July when we go up into the pack ice and spend most of our time uh, looking for polar bears and photographing polar bears. But anyway, let's come to the topic of today, which is going to be a little bit about travel and logistics and fitness. And I think I'll address the fitness aspect of this first. Like, how fit do you actually need to be to come on an expedition? that I do and that I run. And the answer is it depends. It depends a little bit on where we're going and what we're doing. So at the very extreme end of the levels of fitness required would be something like the Ellesmere Island expedition that I podcasted about and also wrote about in my blog. That is very much uh, an anomaly though. That's a very extreme expedition into probably the most remote and difficult areas area on the planet uh, in winter when temperatures are extremely cold and the level of fitness is not, it's not that there's a very high level of fitness required, it's that there's a very high level of endurance required and an ability to be able to withstand the cold and to be able to deal with the elements uh, when you're living in tents uh, in that sort of extreme environment. So I wouldn't say there's a high degree of fitness required because there really isn't. We're moving around on, um, on snowmobiles. We're doing actually not that much walking. I think the most walking I ever did was about two kilometers and it was across flat ice uh, by choice. I drew my expedition. So the level of fitness is actually not that high, but the level of endurance that you need to have, mental and physical, as I like to say, it's 90% mental and the other 10% is in your head. And that's kind of how it is with staying, trying to keep yourself uh, warm. Uh, the level of endurance, I say, is, is quite high that you need to have. But that's at the very, very extreme end of what I do. Most of the trips that I do 
uh, require very, very low level of fitness and very, very uh, little in the way of endurance too, actually. Uh, anything that's based on ship, so any of the polar bear trips that I do, be it in winter or in summer to Svalbard or Greenland or Antarctica, actually require a very, very low level of fitness. We do a lot of uh, photography from the ship. It's what I call sip-click photography. So you can walk outside with your camera. You can photograph the scene, the wildlife. If you get a little bored, you get a little cold, you can go back inside the ship where it's 21 degrees in a T-shirt, have a hot cup of tea or coffee, uh, hot chocolate maybe, warm up if you're a little cold, and then go back to some photography. So it's very, very comfortable. The cabins on board the ships are extremely comfortable. Uh, and because you have everything there at hand, it's very much like being in a floating hotel. So very, very little required in the way of fitness. Typically, even when we go ashore, uh, we're not walking too far, especially in the Arctic because of the risk of polar bears. So typically, we are working together in a group and usually not very far away from where we landed. In Antarctica, there's an opportunity to walk uh, a little bit further than perhaps there is in the Arctic because obviously there's no polar bears down there. But even so, typically, I don't think I've ever walked down in Antarctica on a ship-based expedition more than <laughs> more than perhaps half a kilometre at most. Uh, so the level of fitness, again, is, is very, very low. Equally, the level of endurance on these sorts of trips is also very, very low. I would say that the probably when it comes to endurance, really, it's your ability to go without sleep. Uh, that can be the, the differentiating factor. And what I mean by that is if you're up in the Arctic with me on a polar bear trip in summer, then we have 24-hour daylight. So the sun never sets. It's just circling in the sky, which means we basically have 24 hours of the day available to photograph. And because of that, you can work for hours and hours and hours after you might normally go to sleep. So, uh, And then a polar bear might come at 3 a.m. in the morning and you, you want to get up and photograph. So your ability to go without sleep actually probably plays a bigger factor in endurance than anything else, I would say, on that sort of expedition. Uh, typically, the expeditions that require the highest degree of fitness are landscape-based workshops where I'm working somewhere like Iceland where we're using a four-wheel drive to move around, but then we're hiking up to various locations, up mountains, through valleys, across rivers, uh, not typically huge distances, maybe up to two or three kilometres at a time. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, the level of fitness there, I think, would be at, it's at the higher end of what I do. But I wouldn't say you actually need to be extremely fit. Uh, if you can walk up a flight of stairs quite comfortably, then I think your level of fitness is probably adequate for, for any, any of the workshops or expeditions that I actually do. It's the level of endurance, as I say, at the more extreme end of the trips on things like Ellesmere Island that really make the big difference. Uh, but that's the, not the norm. That's the exception, that particular trip. And it might, I don't want to let it paint the wrong sort of picture across everything else that I do, because for those of you who've perhaps traveled with me before, you'll know the level of comfort and luxury that we normally supply on our, our trips. And it's at, a, it's at a very high standard. So you, you certainly don't need to be super fit. You don't need to be able to run 100 meters in 15 seconds or anything like that at all. All you really need to be able to do is to be able to comfortably carry your own camera equipment, uh, manage your luggage through airports, and then once you're on location, if you're on the ship, things are very, very simple and easy. As I said, you can um, work at your own pace. You can very much go inside to the warm cabins, the warm lounges where people tend to congregate if you get cold uh, and get comfortable again. But again, summer in the Arctic, it's not super cold. You know, a, a cold day might be around, hovering around zero degrees. Winter can get colder, obviously, minus 20, minus 30. But again, you're on the boat, so 
you know, it's 21 degrees inside the cabins and inside the ships. So it's always easy to get out of the cold on these sort of uh, ship-based trips. And the same applies down in Antarctica, actually. Uh, on, the, on the trips down to Antarctica that I lead, typically in November, early December, uh, a cold day might be around zero degrees Celsius, minus one, minus two maybe. So it's not super cold. And again, it's that sort of sip-click photography where, you know, you can just get, go back inside if you get a little cold. Uh, occasionally we'll do uh, Zodiac expeditions as well. So we'll take the small rubber boats out, both in the Arctic and the Antarctic. And there it's just simply a matter of rugging up properly and putting some warm clothes on for the hour or so we might be out in the Zodiac before we return to the ship. And again, there isn't really a level of fitness required because you're not moving around, uh, you're not walking on land or, or anything like that at all. I would say probably the next highest level of endurance that trip that I do is probably the Emperor Penguin trip, um, where we actually fly down to the sea ice and we're camping on the sea ice. And it's not anywhere near as cold as what we experience in Ellesmere Island. You know, a really cold day on the sea ice at Gould Bay might be minus 20, but the average temperature I'd say is much closer to minus five, minus 10. The tents are actually quite warm because they're solar heated by the sun. And usually it's about a kilometer walk uh, from the tented camp to the Emperor Penguin Colony itself, but it's across flat sea ice. So uh, it's very, very easy walking, it's flat, there's no hills, and typically we just put our camera gear on a sled and pull it along behind us, so it's actually quite easy to do. So the level of fitness and endurance does vary a little bit from trip to trip. Uh, taking the Ellesmere Island expedition and perhaps the Emperor expedition out of the equation as those sort of two anomalies, you really don't need to worry too much about your level of fitness or your level of endurance for that matter. As I said, if you can pick up your camera gear, comfortably carry it through an airport, manage your luggage, get to a starting location, then I think you're well and truly well on the way to having the right degree of of, uh, fitness and uh, endurance. Now, of course, um, it kind of goes without saying that the to some degree, the fitter you are, the easier things become. Because if you can, if you're doing a landscape workshop, for example, in Iceland, and we decide that we're going to walk up to a particular rock feature on the side of a mountain, and your level of fitness is quite good, you might arrive fresh, ready to go, have your tripod out, and start making photographs much faster than perhaps someone who's not quite so fit. So I think it's important to try and maintain good health uh, and try and maintain a reasonable level of fitness. Now, I'm certainly not super fit myself, but I try and maintain a reasonable level of fitness so that I can basically keep up with everybody else on the trip. Uh, I don't want to ever fall behind. But um, also just for my own photography as well, I try and do that. But it is a good question. It does come up a lot. What sort of level of fitness and what sort of level of endurance do you need to do some of these trips? And I guess the other factor to that I should talk about at this point is to keep in mind the average age of people who sort of tend to travel with me and do photography workshops and expeditions. The average age of people who travel with me is generally in their late 50s to mid 60s because typically in order to travel and photograph around the world in these sort of places, you need to have time and a little bit of money as well. And generally younger people tend to have one or the other, not both. Uh, There are of course exceptions to that rule, but Generally speaking, people who are in their own business or who have retired or are semi-retired in their late 50s, perhaps early 60s, <coughs> excuse me, just can't seem to get rid of this cough, um, uh, is a typical age bracket, I find, for people who tend to travel with me on these sort of trips. So that also helps factor in the equation, uh, the sort of speed that we move at when we're doing things. We're not racing around like crazy people from location to location uh, as fast as we can. We're very much moving at what I like to call a photographic pace. 
Um, that is a piece where we can get the things done that we need to get done, but do it at a comfortable um a comfortable rate. You know, it's no good arriving absolutely devastated at a location if you're completely out of breath and you can't photograph because we've raced up there. That's not the way I like to do things. I'm very much about making sure that everybody is having the experience that they want to have on the trip and getting the absolute best and most out of it that they can. That's really the key, I think, to putting together a successful trip is that you've got to go at your own pace and the, the person who's running the trip, the leader, in that case, usually me on my own trips, um, needs to be aware of what pace that is everybody's going at and run the group at that pace as well. And that's usually very, very easy for me to do because I find, again, there isn't a high level of fitness and endurance required across most trips. A lot of it also has to do with preparation. So when I am getting close to a trip, let's say my polar bear trip this July, for example, what I'm typically doing is I'm emailing everybody who's coming on that trip with updates all the time. So recommended clothing um, for the expedition, a recommended packing list. Uh, These are the things I suggest you bring. These are the things I suggest you don't need. This is the camera equipment I suggest you need. This is what you don't need. Should you bring a tripod? Should you bring filters? Uh, Do I bring a beanbag? All these sorts of questions get addressed in a very extensive PDF that um, I send out that covers pretty much everything you need to know about what to bring on an expedition, what not to bring, what to expect, even down to things like uh, ship satellite numbers for emergencies, uh, having all that information at your fingertips so that you can pass it on to friends, loved ones. That all gets provided as well. So it's really about providing as much information as I possibly can to make sure that the experience everybody's going to have on the trip is as good as it can be. Because my feeling is it's always best to be a little bit overprepared with these things. So I'm very conscious of making sure that there's enough information available so people know what A, what to expect, but B, also how to prepare and see what to bring with them. So I hope that sort of helps a little bit with logistics and level of fitness and endurance. Um, there are questions that actually do come up a lot. I get a lot of qu- queries as the throughout the year about different trips and levels of fitness required and um, what the expectations are as well. And to 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 many um, to I, sorry, I'll restart that again. What I was going to say was a lot of that also falls on my shoulders to make sure the expectation is set correctly. So I usually make a lot of effort into making sure that everybody understands what it is that they're getting into uh, and what it is that they should expect. And I find that communication is the key to this. Uh, The better the communication, the better the result. So if you are coming with me on a trip, uh, I will be providing obviously all this information to you, but you can also reach out at any time. Like if you've got any queries about should you bring something or you're starting to think about buying a, a new piece of equipment, I'll always respond and say, yes, these are my thoughts. Should you get it? Should you not? Um, taking into account, of course, your own considerations as well. So I think we'll wrap it up there for today. As I said, I'm heading off to the airport in just a few hours from now. I've just finished most of my packing. It is, I have to say, it is extremely nice to be packing for a warm climate. I've actually managed to pack for this entire trip in one small duffel bag instead of two huge duffel bags. And it was very nice to be packing the sandals instead of the big heavy Arctic boots and the down gear for a change. I'm very much a polar guy. I'm never going to change. That's my passion. That's what I do. That's where my heart is. But I do love to return to Africa every other year or so and um, experience a little bit of warm weather and a little bit of the African safari life. So I am looking forward to it very, very much. I'm flying from Melbourne to Dubai 
I've got a five-hour layover in Dubai. I'm going to do some shopping in Dubai. It's Disneyland for adults. For those of you who've never been there, it's probably the most incredible shopping center on earth. Uh, and then from there, I'm actually flying directly into Durban. So I don't have to um, go through Johannesburg, which is really, really nice as well. So I'm looking forward to that. Should be fine. Uh, it's about 14 hours for me to Dubai. And then it's about another eight hours from Dubai to Durban. So I'll be getting into Durban in late afternoon, making my way to the accommodation for the evening and having a fairly quiet night, I think, because we have an early start the following day. Uh, we'll be heading off to our game lodge at about 8, 8.30 in the morning. And I think it will be pretty full on, I'm hoping, in terms of wildlife. My big hope is that we might get leopards. I have seen a leopard once briefly in Namibia, but it really has been my nemesis cat and I'm looking forward to seeing one on this trip. I hope very, very much. So that's it. We'll wrap it up there for today. I'm Josh. It has been the 21st of May, 2022. Podcast number 44. I look forward to seeing you out in the warmth of the African savannah. Bye.